All right. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. Um, get your Bibles out if you would, please. We're going to study the scriptures here together. We started last week a new series that we're calling Healer. And last week, I, I left you with the question, do you believe that there is hope for your healing? Do you actually believe there's hope for your healing? Do you believe that God can heal those relationships in your life? Do you believe that God can heal that hurt in your heart? Do you believe that God can heal you from that addiction? Do you believe God can heal you from that sickness? Do you believe God can heal you from that disease? And I asked you to imagine, those of you who were here last week, I asked you to imagine if God really can and does heal still today, then what is it in your life that needs God's healing touch? Where do you need God to bring healing in your life? And um, last week I asked you to take a step of faith and we had all these little cards, these healer cards. And I asked you to just sort of write on it where you need um, healing or other miracle in your life. And we've been taking these cards and I have all these cards. We've been praying through them this week. And that's what we're, we're committing to do is to pray for you and those miracles, that healing that God wants to do in your life, just to come around you and just to say yes and amen to that and begin just declare that healing in in your life. And so if you weren't here last week, um, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to last week's message. We're going to do this for six weeks total. And so I want to, if you're gone on vacation or you're coming and going, I want you to just try to stay engaged because I really feel like God spoke to me a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago that he wants to bring healing into our lives. And so we're taking just a little bit of the summertime, six weeks here, to really talk about God's healing power and how he wants to heal our lives. And I want this just to kind of saturate over you. Each week I'm going to give you some more things just for you to really kind of meditate on and to think about and to pray about. And so if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you, number one, go online and listen to last week's message. And then number two, if you didn't um, get one of these last week or you didn't know about them, if you'd raise your hand, the ushers are going to just put one of these into you your hand. Just raise it high and they'll get this into your hand. I want to just ask you just to take a step, step of faith like we did last week and write down where do you need healing in your life? What miracle do you need God to do in your life? Just keep your hands up until one of the ushers gets to you and uh, they'll get those into your hands. And if you would, just take them and put them in at the welcome desk on your way out. Because like I said, I, we've been praying for each one of these cards already this week and we want to make sure that we continue to pray for you and what God wants to do in and through your life. If you didn't get what, get your hand, keep your hands raised. I see a couple there. Ushers will finally get to you there. Get your Bibles out. I want to start here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Philippians 3, verse 10, which is in the New Testament, the end portion of your Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So Philippians chapter 10. You can also follow along on the screen. It says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline that word, know. That word, know, in the original Greek language that it was written in is the word, gnosko, which means to feel, to be sure of, to understand, to be resolved of. Now, this word, to know, is not something about just having some sort of knowledge about something. But it's about having this personal experience with. This is what the Apostle Paul is describing. And so he's saying that he wants to have this personal firsthand experience with Jesus. He wants to know for himself the mighty power of God. The Apostle John says a similar thing in 1 John chapter 1 verse 3. He says, we saw it, we heard it. 
And now we're telling you so that you can experience it along with us, this experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle John is basically saying the same thing, and he's using it as a prayer. His prayer is that we wouldn't just have this head knowledge about God, but that we would have this, this firsthand personal experience, encounter of knowing who God is and all of His power and all of His might. The problem, though, is I think for so many of us, we just kind of settle for a type of a second-hand hearsay type of relationship with God. We know about God, and we just kind of settle for that type of knowledge of God instead of having a personal experience like God. Job had the same struggle. If you've ever read the book of Job, look at this at the end of the book in Job chapter 42, verse 1. Job answered, God, I'm convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admitted I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. How many of us have tried to do that with God? Well, we're just talking and complaining and grumbling and saying all this stuff, and we don't have a clue at what's going on. That's what Job was doing. You told me, listen, and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand for my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never again live on crusts of hearsay, crumbs of rumors. If you know the story of Job, a guy that was very wealthy, had everything going for him, and the devil wanted to see if he could get him to turn away from God. And all sorts of losses and sicknesses and and tragedies come upon him and his family. And one of the things that Job finally concludes at the end of all this whole story is that he really didn't know God. Yes, he had a knowledge about God. But it was just kind of secondhand hearsay, um, just rumors about God. He didn't know God firsthand for himself. And as a result, John finally he, he realizes that he actually had gotten in the way of God. In the midst of all the hurt and the junk that was happening in his life, in the midst of all the tragedies, that he actually himself, because he didn't really know God, he actually got in the way of God and what God was trying to do in the midst of that. Yes, the devil was active and wanting to destroy his life, but God wanted to do some things too, and Job just got in the way because he really didn't know him. And I think way too often, that's what we do. We say we have a knowledge of God, but the question is, do we really have, do we really know who he is? I think what's interesting to me is that we get so personally angry with those around us who are constantly misunderstanding us, who misjudge what we say or what we do. And so when people, when, when, you, when you say something and they conclude, well, you, you mean this, or you do something and they can conclude that, you, well, you, you must have meant this, we get upset, don't we? We get upset when people make those assumptions about our own lives and when, when they misjudge us. But it's interesting to me because I think we do that very same thing with God. We say that we know God, but do we really? Do we really know who he is? This morning, I want to take some time here to introduce you maybe to a little bit more of who God is. And I have to tell you, I'm really excited about taking this service to do this because for me, this is like telling you about my best friend. And I want to introduce you to maybe more aspects about God that maybe you didn't really know about him. Because I tell you, we have an amazing treasure in this God who we sing about, in this God that we say that we serve. 
we have such an incredible treasure. I want to introduce a little bit more maybe to you about who he is. Go to, go to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus 15, verse 22. It says, And Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert Ashur. For three days they traveled in a desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, to give you a little bit of perspective, this is the year 1446 B.C., but before we dig into what's going on here at this passage, I want to back up just a little bit, a few thousand years before the year 4000 BC. And look at this in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And so right here from the get-go, we see God creating the heavens and the earth. And as God creates the heavens and the earth, and eventually all of the creation, and, all, and then finally mankind, he announces to all creation who he is. Look again in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God. That word God in the original Hebrew language is the word Elohim. Say that with me, Elohim. And Elohim means God, judge, creator. And then right after creation, God announces another aspect of who he is in Genesis 2.4. He says, there are generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In that day, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. That word Lord is the Hebrew word Yehovah. Say that with me. Yehovah. And Yehovah means Lord of all. And so right here from the beginning, we get, begin to see a description of who God is. And the reason why this is so significant is because in the Hebrew culture, a name wasn't just used for identification purposes. A name in the Hebrew culture was used to describe a person's very nature and their character. In our American culture, when you want to get to know a person, what do we do? We ask questions, right? We ask a lot of questions to try to get to know a person. We ask where they're from. We ask what they do. We ask what they like. And it's from these questions that we begin to understand who this person is. But in the Jewish culture, it was just, it was so much, it was different than how we do it here in the American culture. In the Hebrew culture, a person's name identified exactly who they were and what they were like. And so as soon as you heard their name, then you would know their character, you would know their purpose, you would know their calling because their name signified who they were and what they were about. Let me give you a couple of examples of this in Scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, there's a guy by the name of Nabal whose name means fool or folly. And he actually is a target of Abigail's explanation to David. 1 Samuel 25, verse 25 says, For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. 
And so here was this guy by the name of Nabal who means fool or folly, and it's exactly what his character was. He was a fool. And he becomes a whole issue of conversation here in this chapter. In First Chronicles chapter 4, we learn of a guy by the name of Jabez, whose name means pain. And everywhere Jabez went, he caused pain to himself and pain to others. Jabez has an interesting encounter because he has a revelation that this curse is following him. His name is, is pushing him forward. And everywhere he goes, all he's doing is causing pain. And so he cries out to God to be delivered from the curse of his name, and God answers his request. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the Lord God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. And so a name in the Hebrew culture showed that man or woman's identity and purpose and meaning and calling. Well, here's the thing. God's name does the very same thing. God didn't want the Jewish people just to think of him as some sort of nameless power force that's up there in the sky. God wanted mankind. He wanted us to know him personally. And so little by little, God began to show himself and who he was through his names. But from Adam all the way to Noah and Job, for almost 2,000 years, all that mankind knew about who God was, was that he was Elohim. He was God, judge, he was creator, and that he was Jehovah, Lord of all. That's all that they knew for 2,000 years. That's all the perspective. That's all the understanding. That's all the experience that mankind had of God. In other words, there is this big force, this big power up there in the sky somewhere, and he needs to be feared. That's all that mankind knew about God. But then in 2084 BC, God started revealing more aspects of who he was. And he did this through the interaction of a guy by the name of Abraham. Look at this in Genesis 12, verse 1. He says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he had set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site, the great tree of Morah of Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tents with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. That word Lord is again the same name, Jehovah, which means Lord of all. And so I want you to try to understand what's going on here because for Abraham, he starts having this interaction with God. God starts appearing to him. And all that he knows of this God is the same thing that everybody else has for the last 2,000, generation, 2000 years. Here's this great, powerful force. He's God. He's creator. He is judge. And he is to be feared. And so I better do what he's asking me to do. That's all that Abraham knows at this point. But little by little, God begins to show more of himself to Abraham. And the first way God reveals himself to Abraham was as El Elyon. Say that word with me. 
El Elyon. Look at this in Genesis 14, verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Ketolaomir. And the king is that were with him at the valley of Shaveh, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. Those words right there, the Most High God, are the Hebrew words El Elyon, which means the most exalted and the most most sovereign of all gods. And so right from the get-go, when God begins to show more of himself to Abraham, he wants him to know that he is greater than all other gods. This is really important for the culture at that time because everybody kind of had their pet gods. They had those banners that they would raise and come under, and I serve this God, I serve this God, I serve this God. But right from the get-go, God wanted Abraham to know there's no other. (laughs) There is just no, all these other ones who think they're God, they don't even come in comparison here. There is no God like our God. The second way God revealed himself to Abraham was as Adonai. Say Adonai. Adonai. Genesis 15 verse 2. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. This is the situation where God's promised that he's going to multiply his family as far as the east is from the west, as the sands on the shore. And years go by, still no child, and now they're almost 100 years old, and they still don't have a child, and they're crying out, how is this possible, God? And God reveals himself here. Those words, Lord, God, are the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord and Master. Lord and Master. And so here in this situation, God was showing Abraham that all things must submit to his lordship and his power, even our physical bodies have to submit to the power of God. This was really important because the issue they were dealing with is that they were too old to have kids. But here's the thing. God says, no big deal because the bodies of men and women have to still submit to the power of God. He is Adonai. And then the third way God revealed himself to Abraham was as El Shaddai. Say those words. El Shaddai. Genesis 17 verse 1 said, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Those words, Almighty God, are the Hebrew words El Shaddai, which means the all-sufficient one, the one who sustains us, the one who is more than enough. And so here, God was showing Abraham, even when you don't understand how things are going to work, even though in your head you can't figure out how this is going to happen, it seems impossible for you, it seems impossible that anything's going to change, that he could count on God because God is more than enough. He is El Shaddai. He, he is more than enough for any situation that you encounter. And then the fourth way God revealed himself to Abraham was as El Olam. Say those words. El Olam. Genesis 21, 
Verse 32 says, Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech rose up, and Pekol, the chief captain of his hosts, and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. We sang about it here this morning, but those words, the Lord, the everlasting God, in Hebrew are those words El Olam, which means the everlasting God, the God of eternity, the God of the universe, the God of ancient days, the eternal God. And so here, God was showing Abraham that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this covenant that was being formed between him and God, Abraham and God, that this covenant would last for all eternity because God is the eternal God. And then finally, God revealed himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh. Say those words. Jehovah Jireh. Genesis 22, verse 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here, I'm, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the ladder. Do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So those words, the Lord shall provide, are the Hebrew words, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord who provides, the one who is the provider. And so God asked Ask Abraham to give his son, to sacrifice his son. Now remember, Abraham is building this relationship with God. It's little by little. But remember, the very first thing that he knows about God, this is the thing that's been there for 2,000 years, that he is God, he is creator, he is almighty, and he is to be feared, so you better do what he tells you to do. And so he does. But right there in the midst of that, God shows him another aspect of who he is. He said, I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. And it was a foreshadowing, actually, of what God was going to do with Jesus. That Jesus would come and provide for us a way that he would be our sacrifice. That's Jehovah Jireh. And so this is how God revealed himself to Abraham. El Elyon, the most exalted, the most sovereign of all gods. There is no God that even come close to who God is. Adonai, Lord and Master, all things must come under and submit to his lordship, even your own physical bodies. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the one who sustains us, the one who's more than, than enough. So no matter what situation that you can encounter, you can count on God, because he is more than enough. El Olam, the everlasting God, the God of eternity, the God of the universe, the God of ancient days, the eternal God. He's, in other words, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, the one who is the provider. And so this is how God began to introduce himself. He began to say, this is who I am. Through his names, he began to show Abraham, this is who I am. This is my character. This is, this is, this is how I'm going to interact with you. And we see Abraham beginning to learn what it means to walk by faith and begin to establish this relationship with God. It's going to be another 608 years until God reveals another aspect of who he is. And real quick, I want to just kind of just outline here for you what happens in those, in those 600, over 600 years. Because, again, God had called Abraham to follow him to an unknown land. 
And so he goes, he takes a step of faith and begins to follow God. He comes to this unknown land. Future generations are going to call this land the promised land. And it's in this promised land where Abraham meets God. And God begins to reveal who he is. And he establishes this covenant for Abraham and for his, his lineage there. And so several generations then live in this promised land. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, God uses to intervene when there is a severe famine that, that strikes the entire world. Remember Joseph? Joseph was one of Jacob's sons. He was the one that was envied of all the kids, the other brothers. They sell him into slavery. Joseph gets shipped off to Egypt. Looks like all is going to be lost, but oh no, God's still in the midst of that situation. He interprets this dream that Pharaoh has, that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Um, as a result, Pharaoh puts him in second in command and is blessed. Eventually, all the Israelite clan comes out of the promised land, and they all move to Egypt under Joseph's reign there, and they're blessed. But when Joseph dies and future generations come, those pharaohs no longer know Joseph, and they begin to fear these Israelites because they have become to spread out, and they are multiplying all over Egypt. And they're afraid that they're going to take over the land, and so they enslave all the Israelites, all the Jewish people. And for 430 years... They endure this harsh slavery and captivity there in Egypt. And the interesting thing is God's completely silent for 430 years. For 430 years, God doesn't speak to any person during this time. But finally, in 1446 B.C., God reveals himself to a guy by the name of Moses at the burning bush and gives Moses this direction. Exodus 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my might, mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites when the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And so after 430 years of God being completely silent, God reveals himself to this guy by the name of Moses, and he starts reintroducing himself to the people of Israel. Now think about that. For 430 years, all that the Israelites had to go on about God was hearsay that's passed down from generation to generation. These stories that were passed down, how God talked to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph, all they had were these stories to pass down from generation to generation. I mean, talk about secondhand information. Talk about hearsay. Talk about rumors, but that's all they had. And so it's no wonder that Moses had a hard time believing and trusting in this God that now was trying to interact with him. 
God had been silent for 400 years, 430 years. There was no personal encounter. There's no personal experience with this generation. And so it's no wonder Moses is struggling to trying to know what God's telling him to do. And it's no wonder why the Israelites had a hard time believing and trusting in God and following him. But little by little, God begins to introduce more and more of who he is. And both Moses and the Israelites begin to put their faith and trust in God. And God dramatically delivers them from Egypt, which brings me back to where we started. Exodus 15. Look at this again. Verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert Ashur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring any of these diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And so after 608 years, God finally reveals another aspect to who he is. The Lord who heals you. Those are the Hebrew words, Jehovah Rapha. Say that after me. Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who restores, makes healthful, the one who heals. Now think about that. Try to put yourself in that position because after 430 years of God being silent, after 608 years since God's even revealed another aspect to he is, the first thing that he wanted to know, that he wanted these Israelites to know who he is, is that he wanted them to know that he is healer. After all these years, after 430 years of enslavement, after 430 years of being beaten down, being oppressed, being abused and misused and thrown out like the trash, after 430 years of living in subhuman condition, I mean, think about that. I mean, think about, talk about pain, talk about suffering, talk about sickness and disease. But as soon as God gets them out of Egypt, the first thing that God does is says, let me show you who I am. And he reveals and says, I am the Lord, your healer. I am Jehovah Rapha, the one who wants to bring healing into your life, the one who cares about your whole, your whole being, the one who is your healer and will bring healing to all aspects of your life. You know, I think this is still how God introduces himself to us today. For so many of us, when we come to God, all that we know of God is that we need something. You know, I think God exists and we have this longing, we have this, this dire, we can try to reach out to him. I, I need some deliverance, I need some help, I need some interaction, I need God you to do something here. And of course, yeah, I want to make sure I end up in heaven. <laughs> Those are kind of how we, the reasons why we come to God. So we see God as judge. We see him as creator. We see him as all powerful. But what God begins to do, little by little, he begins to reveal more aspects of who he is. He begins to show us really who he is. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Think about that. The endless treasures. This is what Paul is talking about. The endless treasures we have. Listen, there's so much more to who God is than right now you really know. 
it's in the, the endless treasures that we have with God. There's so much more of God that we need to be exposed to, that we need to be able to experience. I want you to think about it this way. How many of you have ever watched on, maybe on TV, the Antique Road Show or American Pickers? Any of you see that on TV before? Well, I love those shows. I love it because it's this idea that you have something in your attic or your closet that's worth more than what you think. You know? That's what these shows are all about, and people are always astounded by what they, they, they find in their attic or in their closet, and, and all of a sudden, it's, it's worth all these things. When my, my granddad died um, several years ago, we were going through all of his stuff and having to go through you know, all the, the junk and all the things that were there in his house, and we came across this. Anybody know what this is? Deed of Stock Brand. Any of you know what it is? Raise your hand if you know what it is. Come on, we're in Texas. Everybody should know, right? <laughs> exactly. So it's the deed of a, so a cattle brand. It's a brand for, for cattle. And so this is the deed because you have to own, you have to own that brand. Each one of these brands are unique and they're used to identify your cattle. You're following me? You, you look like you've never seen a cow before. <laughs> right? It, Right? You know about brands, right? They introduce brands because of the cattle wrestlers. Okay, I just, where am I? You think I was in Wisconsin or something. This is Texas, right? Okay, so this brand um, was an, is, is an R4 brand. Here's the thing about brands, though, is that they can be a dime a dozen, but this two-digit, a two-digit brand are rare because they don't make them anymore, Right? So this little piece of paper is worth $3,000. This little piece of paper is worth $3,000 that could have very easily been thrown away in the trash as we are going through all my granddad's stuff. You hear what I'm saying here? We don't know what we have. And I suggest to you that the same exists. This is what Apostle Paul is describing here. We don't know what we have with God. He is an endless treasure that we just need to be exposed to, that we need to discover, we need to experience. And so, and so we've got to step out of just living our life and trying to come to church on Sunday and sing songs on Sunday that just, just simply is a hearsay and secondhand information and rumors about God. God wants to show us who he is personally because he is so much bigger than I, I guarantee you how you already see him. He's bigger than how I see him because there's still more to who he is than what I've experienced and what you have experienced. But here's the thing. God wants you to know him. Not just about him. He wants you to experience him firsthand. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means the same God who revealed himself to the Israelites at Marah and said, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am your healer. I am the one who will bring healing in all aspects of your life. That same God is the God we just sang about this morning, God we pray to, and the God we are talking to. He is Jehovah Rapha, your healer. And he wants to bring healing to your life. And so let me ask you again. Do you have hope that God can bring healing to your life? Do you have hope that God can heal the hurt, the wounds in your heart? 
You have hope that God can bring healing to those relationships. You have hope that God can bring healing to destroy those addictions in your life. You have hope that God can bring healing to that sickness, that disease that's in your body. Because this is who he is. And maybe you haven't experienced that yet, but it doesn't change the fact that this is who he is. You just need to experience more of this incredible treasure that we have in God. I want you to just close your eyes here for a minute. Because for some of you here this morning, my guess is maybe you didn't even have a clue. You had no idea that you had such a valuable treasure in your life. Maybe you've been turning to this person and that person for help, to this, this thing and that thing. You've been going from one thing to another, hoping that you can get some sort of relief, hoping that that hurt will go away, hoping that that relationship will be restored, hoping that that sickness will go away when all the while you've had in your possession the greatest physician of all. Maybe for you, 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 didn't, you didn't realize that that's who God is and that he still works wonders in our life. Maybe for others of you, you've known about the idea that God is healer. But because of you never experienced God's healing power working in you, you, you just, you, you believe the lie. You believe the lie that God's not able to help you. You believe the lie that God's not able to heal you. You believe the lie that God no longer heals and works and God no longer restores. But I want to just speak to you again because this is who God is. He is healer. He is healer and he can't deny himself, which means since this is who he is and it's his desire to heal you, to heal the hurt in your heart, to heal the pain that you're going through, to heal the confusion that's in your head, to heal those addictions, to heal that depression, to heal that sickness, to heal that disease that's in your body, to heal those broken relationships. Since this is who he is and he can't deny himself, then I want you to let that settle in your heart. He wants to heal you. And he wants you to experience his healing. In Psalms 30, verse 2, it says, Oh, Lord, my God, I called to you for help, and you healed me. Father, I pray for every person here this morning, every person who's listening to my voice, Father, that every one of us would experience you as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, the Lord our healer. And God, just as you revealed yourself time and time again throughout history, starting with the Israelites back in 1446 BC and how you grabbed a hold of a people who were, who were so destroyed and pushed down and, and you were so excited to reveal yourself as healer. God, I pray that we too would experience you as healer. And Lord, I pray for every person in here who feels hopeless because of what's going on in their life. Lord, I pray for each person who feels hopeless because of the sickness or because of that disease that's in their body. Father, I thank you that you are greater, that you are Lord and master over our bodies. And no matter what's going on in our bodies, they have to 
they have to submit to you because you're Lord and Master. Just as you spoke that to Abraham and Sarah, who are way too old to give birth and have children, Lord, I pray that that same, that same revelation would come into our hearts for each person who's struggling with a sickness or a disease. And Father, I pray, Father, that we would grab a hold, not just in a knowledge way, but in an ex- to ex- a desire to experience you, that God, would, we would grab a hold of that and say, God, I want to know you. I want firsthand knowledge of you. God, just as Job prayed, God, we ask, God, forgive us for confusing the issue. Forgive us for getting in the way. Forgive us for believing in the lie that you weren't able to help us, that you weren't able to bring healing. Lord, I pray that, that, that God, your, your truth would enter our hearts. And for every person who's just hurting inside, hurting because of depression, hurting because of loss, hurting because of conflict, hurting because of oppression, Lord, I pray that your healing would come to their souls. You are the restorer of our souls and the brokenness in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that every person here, that we would experience your life-giving power working through and in every part of our lives. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that we're not just out here by ourselves. I thank you, God, that we're not just victims of what life throws our way. But, God, that you are Emmanuel, you are God with us, that you are present, and you are that present help in time of need. And so just as the psalmist cried out, God, we do the same. God, we call out to you. We cry out to you. Lord, heal us. Heal us, God. We need your healing power in our lives. This morning, we're going to take communion here together. And the interesting thing, one of the many interesting things about the Lord's table is that Jesus himself said that when you gather, do this in remembrance of me. We forget who God is. We forget what what God has done, his provision for us. But we just read the story of Abraham, God saying, do this, and God's intervention to take the place of that sacrifice. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do that Jesus gave his life for us, that he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He stepped in that place to make provision for us. It's here at the table that we remind ourselves, God, you're my provider. Thank you for making your way. Thank you for opening up the door so I can know you, that I can have a relationship with you, so I can hear your voice. It's here at this table that we remember all that Isaiah prophesied about who the Savior would be, that it's by his stripes we are, what is it? Healed. Jesus came to make provision for that. It's here at this table where we take this and we put it into ourself. And just as you eat food and it becomes a part of you, we're taking the revelation, the truth of who Jesus is. We're putting it inside of us to breathe life. And so if you need provision, if you need healing this morning, then as you're taking this, receive. Just say, thank you, God. Thank you for healing. You don't have to beg God anymore. (laughs) He's already provided for us. So all we need to do is just get in a position to be able to receive. Communion is a great way to do it. How we're going to do it, there's two stations in front of each of the section, and 
And in just a second, I'm going to dismiss the rose. And you'll exit from, from the left and circle around, take a piece of bread and dip it into the juice, then go back to your table, exit to the right, right? Exit to the right, circle back to the left. Ushers will help you with directions and you get confused with your left and right. We'll start with the front row going back. You don't have to be a member here at One Chapel to do this. This is a table that Jesus said, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this table was set for you and we can do this in remembrance of him. And so let's do this here together.